by my co-host Spencer. Spencer, say hey to the people. Hey, everybody. Spencer, long time coming. It's been some months. It's been some time. But we are, as ever, on the Mangum Talks podcast channel, committed to finishing this series. So we are going to go ahead mm-hmm. and finish the Book of Boba Fett, even though it aired a couple months ago. So in full disclosure, I had some health issues, which caused me to be offline for a while. I am, as you can tell, back, happy, fighting shape, ready for Spencer. Spencer, however, not in fighting shape. He now <laughs> is sick. Spencer, what do you got, a flu or something? You sound a little stuffy today. There is one hell of a flu going around, but I am here. I am excited. I have found a new way to once again rain on your parade. And yeah. I'm here for it. I'm really happy that I catch you weak because I feel like we're going to argue about these last three episodes a lot. And uh, I really want to start with you not at your best, just to be okay. quite frank. Um, so we are back with Manga Talk Star Wars. We are covering the book of Boba Fett. We are on chapter five of Boba Fett. But book of Boba Fett goes to seven chapters. Our tentative plan is to do six and seven in one episode because we kind of view that as sort of one big dense finale. So we're going to do that in one episode. And then there'll be a tiny break on this podcast feed while we get ready for oh my god spencer we're getting obi-wan kenobi it's gonna be so great stop rolling your eyes just look don't don't even do it it's gonna be awesome it's gonna be great hayden christensen's back hey you know what i read today hayden christensen watched the clone wars in the the cartoon series in preparation for his role in obi-wan so we got some people who know the series i'm excited it can be only one of two things. Either one of the best Star Wars things they've ever made or absolute shit. That is the level of just trying to shoot the moon that this show is going to be. I don't know which category it's going to fall in. So for those that don't know, the Obi-Wan series is going to cover a part of Obi-Wan's life after the end of Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, and before the start of Episode 4, A New Hope, when he basically is outcast in Tatooine I believe in the galaxy there's him and I guess maybe Ahsoka and Mm -hmm. Yoda left. Basically, that's it, of of Jedi. And he's in Tatooine, and it's going to cover kind of what he was doing during that period. Because we've all kind of wondered, what happened that turned this nice, sultry, beautifully accented, great-haired man of Ewan McGregor (laughs) and Mr. Alec Guinness? Guinness. What occurred? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that's what we're going to see. I'm really excited about that. That's going to come the end of May, and we will be covering every single episode here on Mangum Talk Star Wars. But the issue at hand, Spencer, is Chapter 5 of The Mandalorian. Um, I'm so uh, excited. You, you, no, I know. I did it on purpose. Chapter 5 saying, of The Mandalorian. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, that, hey, we got, the, we, we got the season opener to Mandalorian. So great. We got Chapter 5, Mandalorian. Really, really pumped about it. We're going to talk about a little bit of housekeeping. If you are new to our podcast channel, we do all kinds of wonderful podcasts where me and Spencer get on the horn, yell at each other. We also have a cast of other characters who do podcasts here on the Mangum Talks podcast channel so please go to your favorite podcast provider type in mangum talks or just go to mangumtalks.com and you can check out all of our stuff i think right now mm-hmm. spencer is involved in a chapter by chapter reread of harry potter called pottering around which is absolutely a delight and you guys are on what the fifth book now uh what what is order the, what is order of the phoenix i, I believe you're on book i think you're on book four or five five four five something like we're that. On, i don't know we're on that book whichever one it is yeah, anyway, it's really good. Check it out. There's been a few new episodes of that lately. But I think, Spencer, it's time for us to finally, after months of preparation, so do Chapter way. 5. Uh, we typically do here on the Mega Talk Star Wars, we do a uh, review, which I will do. We will lead a recap. Then we'll do our segments. We're going to do best line of the episode. You know, we started best line of the episode not being great. 
segment just be right honest with this series there's been a lot of action a lot of periods with no talking so there's very limited dialogue i think in this series then we will go to nostalgic moment of the episode i have got a couple <laughs> i've got a couple sir and then we will go we will descend we'll put our robes on we'll descend into the gladiatorial pit we will pick our hand up and we will go thumbs up thumbs down or thumbs sideways is this as good as a standard episode of the mandalorian I, how do you distinguish that amazing how do you even distinguish it isn't it ama- like so we started this podcast and we decided well book of boba fett it kind of is in the same world as mandalorian same sure. time frame in star wars it looks like the same people made it so why don't we compare each episode of book of boba fett to a standard episode of the mandalorian is it as good worse or about on par and then we get an episode of the mandalorian so that's pretty fucking amazing mm-hmm. all right let's do it chapter five this is titled return of the mandalorian Woo! is indeed no boba fett no boba fett inside we don't get boba fett yeah. at all in chapter five of book of boba fett spencer yeah. how do you feel about that let's do some initial thoughts before we get even get into this this i think and you you and i have both watched all the episodes of book of boba fett at this point Correct. i think that this is the best episode of that series of that limited series that we have I think i think it's even noticeably so the best done the best prepared the best paced and the best written of the ones that we get and it's a lot of fun. If anything, it comes across as being a love letter to both Phantom Menace and certain aspects of the Clone Wars cartoon series. Just all the references, all the callbacks, all the moments of nostalgia. A lot of Phantom Menace, yep, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, it's a great first episode to reintroduce us to, to Bando in terms of what he's been doing during this period. I think it highlights, though, that the Book of Boba Fett cannot stand on its own legs. That its strongest episode, Boba Fett does not even appear in, and it's completely unrelated to Boba Fett's plot. Yeah, that is but, pretty telling, I think. Yeah, but let me give you a yeah, but. So you're right. It is the I think probably the strongest. Although there's parts of episode six that I absolutely fucking adore I that I cannot wait to talk we're, to. We're you gonna about. fight on this. But it was unbelievable parts of episode six. But I think uh, Soup to Nuts episode five probably the strongest. It certainly is the highest rated on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Everywhere that fans can give their input, they have said yeah. they like episode five of uh, Book of Boba Fett the best. Now, of course, that follows is, well, that's the one that Boba Fett isn't in. Doesn't that say that this series failed, et cetera, et cetera? I don't think so, because I have never thought of this series as a standalone series. And this is where the last three episodes of this show are okay by me and not okay by some fans. I have always viewed this as part of the telling of a larger story that's going to culminate in a really big battle with a certain blue skin man that we have yet to meet that's what's going to happen so it's it's all connected this this series was never meant to stand on its own mando's story was never meant to be completely separate from boba fett and so the fact that they're connected that we see baby yoda in episode six that all that stuff happens i'm totally cool with because the whole point is you're creating a a bunch of shows set in the same timeline with similar characters all converging onto the same epic event and your I, thoughts I, I assumed you would take that stance, and I understand it, but I fundamentally believe that if you're in, if you're going to make a show that is in a medium, even if it's meant to connect into an overarching story, it has to stand on its own legs and tell its own concrete story. And Why? And adequately develop its own characters, because otherwise you're always going to just keep returning to the same through line. And so much of what you're actually seeing that's not directly connected to that through line just feels like wasted time. At the end of this, what Boba Fett does in the course of the series feels entirely insignificant. To anything else you're setting up as your main plot. It feels like a distraction because you never really get an opportunity to fully develop his characters and his own story other than how they always are just interconnecting with things that the fans 
and seemingly the writers are much more invested in. It feels like a, you know, we gotta feel, we, got, we have to find something to fill the gap until we get back to the things that are really important, rather than something that feels like it actually can exist on its own merits. Okay, so I think that that is, I think that's pretty unfair because we get what what happened to Boba after he fell into the Sarlacc pit. We've been wanting that for thirty five fucking years. We get that in spades, and it was a I think a really good telling of him kind of coming back to life in the sands of Tatooine. You know, being involved with the Tusken Raiders, we get a fleshing out of the Tusken Raiders culture that we never got before, which is also a really cool thing. They're not these like sand savages or whatever, as they were displayed in the episode one, two and three. And so, like, there are parts of this that were, I think, necessary to the greater Star Wars narrative that were interesting. And the fact that it all sort of starts to connect back into Mandalorian. Love it. That's exactly what we were hope I was hoping for was that it would not be a completely tattooing like, okay. Boba has created a little empire. Bam, there's the story. And boom, it's out here on the side. Because if they're telling that, I'm not quite sure why. But if they're connecting it back in, Mando has this, um, you know, debt of gratitude that he he has for Boba that he's coming back to help fulfill. Awesome. Super cool. And we get a little Baby Yoda training. It's all connected. I really liked it. Now, I will grant you this. The fans didn't like it. They just didn't. I mean, people, like... I mean, I guess it's kind of hard, right? Because I say the fans didn't like it. The loud people on the internet didn't there like it. There was a lot of loud ranters. That's certainly... Yeah, true. and so the rate, like it's rated like 63 or something on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever, or IMDb. Or what, it's, not, it's not rated super high by the Star Wars fans. However, the ratings were through the roof. They're selling a ton of merch. People have watched a million times. So it's kind of hard to tell. It, but it the loud people the on the internet seem to not like it. There's definitely a bit of that. I think part of it as well is that you emphasized what they did in the first three episodes, and I'm with you on the first three episodes. I think they did well with those in terms of setting up the background, setting up the universe, and then they kind of just dropped those for a kind of semi-criminal, developing a criminal empire kind of plot that it never really felt like they committed to and that they were in some ways hamstrung by the fact that they made Boba Fett too good of a guy. That they moved so far away from the Star Wars Legends universe in terms of the depiction of Boba Fett it never felt as interesting or as earned to have him being a crime boss. Because he never felt like one. He just felt like it. Too honorable and... He never... Here's a sad thing. Boba Fett, the established character in the Star Wars lexicon going back decades, now doesn't feel different enough from Mando to exist independently from him. Oh, he, he's definitely different than Mando. But, like, I... Yeah, I mean, I, it got a little wee worky, right? Like elevate the world's consciousness. Like that's what Boba was doing. It's like, what, what, what's the real point of this company again? So, I'm not quite so, sure, but I think that they cop to that in the end. And so maybe it was kind of on purpose because in the end, I mean, to a certain degree. Yeah, the, well, at the end of it, Boba looks at her and he's like, I don't think I even like this shit. So like maybe that was kind of the whole point is that he's not. This is not really his thing, and it did seem like they were setting up for another season of this. So maybe they'll tell more of Boba's story as he like kind of maybe gets away from this a little bit we'll get back to the actual episode here in a second but i think you just hit on the head one of the big one of the big issues that the loudest fans had i think there's still an aspect of the star wars community that sees how much Favreau and filoni love the legends universe and keep bringing in aspects of it that they thought that he was going they were going to bring in legends boba fett and they really didn't mm -mm. they kept that not at all that legends boba fett yeah. no longer exists that's nope. not who at any point they're going with and I think people struggled with that because they wanted this to be a darker show. They wanted this to be actually be the criminal underbelly kind of thing and Boba being the brutal, a brutal asshole that he could be in the Legends universe. 
And that's just not what they were interested in telling. And I think people were left disappointed about that, particularly in the later episodes that focused more on that than the opening ones did. Yeah, and anytime anything in the Star Wars universe right now has a path and it doesn't go dark and tells like a kind of like a lighter story, people are going to say, oh, Disney, 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 that's the reason. Like, so it, it's yeah. kind of, I, I can see the complaints, but let's get into the recap of Chapter 5 of the Book of Set, The Return of Mandalorian. Recap is very Pike Syndicate heavy. Um, also, we get a lot of the final scene of episode four. Credits can be made by muscle if you know where to look. Uh, doo -doo 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 -doo. So we start out in some sort of meat processing plant. Kind of looks like Rocky Balboa's training gym. I really actually liked this as an opening setting. It felt like we haven't really seen this kind of, you know, oh, it was very awesome. much dirt, dirty industrial kind of like place to be operating in the Star Wars universe. I was with it. It's like, this is a real lived-in place they're in right now. For sure. Yeah, and that's one thing these television series are doing is it is really filling out visually the world of Star Wars in a way we've never gotten before, which I really do appreciate. We just get weird scenes. We get settings we've never gotten before. This was really cool. Um, we get a close-up of the entryway to the cooler, and bam, do 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 It's our guy Mando. That's Maybe right. Turned. Start with Mando, which that surprised me at the time. I know this is months ago, but I thought we were going to get back to Boba him talking and then like Mando coming to him as opposed to let's right, go see yeah. what Mando's been doing this whole time. That was, that kind of threw me a little yeah. bit. They, they, yeah, they don't hide from the very first moment and said, no, 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 no. This is Mando's story. We're telling for this episode. Maybe you'll get a reference to Boba at the end, but we're seeing what Mando has been up to and what state he is in since you last saw him. And I just, I mean, you know, I mean, we guess we can, and we will, and we, we have, and we will continue to argue, is that the smart thing to do within a story that's supposed to be about Boba Fett? Um, are they focusing too much on Mando? Is there too much Baby Yoda? All I can tell you is this. I love the episode, and I am absolutely entertained whenever Mando's story is being told. So at this point, I kind of don't care. I was entertained. I, I, I can answer yes to both those questions. Do I think it takes away from Boba Fett's story? Yes. Was I incredibly entertained and thought it was the best episode of the series? Also, Yes. Yeah. Mando walks up to someone in another room behind a table. He says he's here for Cababayas, and he is talking to a Trandoshan behind the table. The Trandoshan asks Mando why he thinks Cababayas is there. Mando pulls out a little tracking fob, which is hot, which we have never figured out how the hell that works. How how do you... I, how can I just create a, a tracking fob that, that beeps harder whenever it gets near Spencer when I'm not near Spencer? I don't know. It's got to be genetic in some way. That's the only way it can make any degree of sense. But don't think too hard about it. It's just space magic. Then the question changes to, uh, well, what do you want from him? Um, he owes someone important money, Mando explains, and he's there to bring him in. Well, if I see him, I'll let him know. Mando then pulls up a hologram and says, I see him right now. So it looks like he's talking to Kababayas this entire time. Trandoshan tries to deny the guy in the hologram is him. Mando gives the others in the room the chance to leave. I have no quarrel with you. So Mando's hitting his normal beats here for a job, right? Small correction. These are actually Clatoonians rather than Trandoshans. Oh, Clatoonians, huh? They're not Trandoshans? In indeed. Huh. Anyway. Um, I was pretty sure they're Anyway. Uh, he says, I have no quarrel with you. Like, I mean, like pretty standard Mando stuff when he's on a job, right? He finds the guy. He's no nonsense. He tells everybody around, look, I got no problem with you. You can leave. And then he hits him with the old Mando line. Felt good I can to hear bring it. you in warm or I can bring you in cold. There it is. <laughs> ah! I got chills. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the guards then jumps on Mando and he starts fighting back. And bam! He pulls out the Darksaber. So there we go. We get an answer. He does still have the Darksaber. So at the end of Mandalorian Season 2, 
there was a little bit of weirdness between him uh, and the other Mandalorians there about the dark saber, about the you know keeping it, the whole thing, and mm-hmm. ultimately it looks like Mando did keep it, but he's having some trouble wielding it. What did you think about this whole storyline that the dark saber is hard for him to wield? It's physically heavy. I mean, it, it, I had a mix of thoughts about it. Of where in the initial fight, I loved it. I loved the idea that he physically cut himself using a weapon that he's not had not had any training with. That, that felt was so cool. realistic and yep. so appropriate. I was with it. And then when he's struggling to lift it, I originally thought they were in some ways going back to like the original Star Wars movies of where Lucas said, "Oh yeah, they're actually like really heavy and hard to wield. You have to use a lot of training and a lot of strength to be able to control them." Uh, as a way of partially explaining why the choreography in the first film wasn't that great necessarily. <laughs> I thought they were in some ways bringing back that. Is that no lightsaber can cut through a freaking starship? It's actually a heavy blood object. You have to have a lot of training to use. Instead, they went almost more authorian of where the sword chooses its wielder and the yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I don't know what to make of that as much. That feels. I mean, it's a magical universe, but that felt like a different kind of magic. I'm not sure about. Yeah, it was kind of strange. I didn't. Um, we'll see where they go with it, but it does kind of explain why. When Moff Gideon was wielding it, he was also sort of struggling, struggling with yeah. it. He he wasn't. I wouldn't say he was like pirouetting or anything with it, right? He was struggling as well. Um, in um, ultimately, uh, it does help him kill about everybody in the room, though, including mm-hmm. the Clatoonian in question, Spencer. I always thought bring them in cold meant carbonite. <laughs> no, I think it means Corpse. I will kill you because that's yeah. what he does. He cuts his fucker in half and then takes his head off and puts it in a bag. That's what he does. It does, and that cut that he gets to his leg is not small. That guy's sliced into himself quite a bit right now. And as he's turning to the door and just sees a whole field of Clatonians there, all armed with various, like, butcher knives, whatever else, I kind of thought he might be a little bit fucked for a second. I didn't. I thought these these were, like, average Joe meat cutters. Like, these were, like, just regular dudes, and I thought Mando could and just destroy Mando them calls, if he had to. Mando takes your bet and calls it correctly. Um... Walks outside, sees some other workers there. He explains, hey, your boss is dead, but you can have all those New Republic credits. Love that they are drawing the distinction on what the credits are and where we are in the timeline. At this point, the New Republic rules. They will pull you over for speeding and you spend their money. Um, And (laughs) they take him on. They say, says, you can have those New Republic credits in there if you let me pass because I don't have any problem with you guys. They take him up on that. Mando walks out. Cut to Mando's music over the book of Boba Fett opening. OMG, it's a Mando episode. Mm-hmm. Cut to what looks like some sort of circular star base. This thing was cool as shit. It really reminded me of a lot of the images we see or read about in the series The Expanse. Like the belters, mm-hmm. like that 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 belt starship base. I don't know if like Favreau had like watched The Expanse or read it or anything, but... That real that was a really neat starbase. What'd you uh, think it, of that? It's a straight up ring world in a way we've never seen before in the Star Wars universe. Guard. Um, it is. It's not even like a Halo ring world. It's more like a a, a Niven ring world style, and it it's. How big do you think that structure was? Because it seemed like it was beyond just even simply a planetary scape. Uh, it was pretty fucking big, uh, full show. Um, I don't know. I it seemed big enough to have like um, thousands and thousands of people on it for sure. Uh, millions, possibly. It, it's it's a colossal structure. It is unique. I've never seen anything like that in the Star Wars universe before. And it feels like the fact that they don't bother to go into detail or explain it just further expands the lore in interesting kind of ways. 
Yeah, I liked it. Mando is walking along this base, and it's open air with space. So I'm not really sure how it works. Like, I, I guess there's some sort of, like, vacuumed atmosphere or something some that it's atmosphere. got. Some um, artificial atmosphere is created around this thing in some shape or form. Yeah, because yeah, people can seemingly just walk on the surface of it uh, as if yeah. it was, like, a planet or something. Mando walks in, gets into an elevator. What we find out is that even though in the Star Wars universe there are magic tracking fobs and there are weird circular star bases that have open air atmospheres that you can breathe in, it's still awkward to be in an elevator with someone. That's what we've learned. Some things are universal. That's just how they go. Yeah, especially when you have a guy's head in, in a bag that you're holding. You, you'll also um, notice Mando doesn't look out the window. Fear of heights, maybe? Yeah, he, I, respect. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I never look out of the window in those elevators. Mando walks into some sort of bar club and walks up to a particular table that seems to be in the back. The people at the table are speaking Huttese, which I thought was a really mm -hmm. cool detail because as we know, the Huts generally in the Outer Rim control pretty much all of the crime syndicates. I mean, Boba Fett's trying to do Absolutely. something sort of unprecedented here by taking, taking apart a little teeny sliver of something in an Outer Rim territory. That's typically all Huttese space right there. Absolutely. Um, so Mando walks up to Manny Payment. The person's trying to slow him down. Offers for him to have a meal. Come on, sit down. A very yeah, mob boss feel. The like they're in the back of some sort of like Italian restaurant in Manhattan in the 40s. <laughs> have a glass of wine. Sit down for a moment. Yeah. Mando asks where the nearest access shaft to the substrata is. And the guy tells him, look, I'm not going to tell you anything because you sit down and eat. Again, very mob boss, uh, mob mm. boss vibe. The guy it, tells me respect. Mando, yeah, yeah. The guy tells Mando where the access shaft is as Mando starts to walk away. Mando turns around. The guy tells Mando he has another job for him. He says, I'd put that one on ice if I were you. Mando then walks off back through the bar. Some very cool visuals. This scene, the production value of this episode is astronomically Top high. Ha, Top see what I did? Uh, really, really good. <laughs> um, uh, it's just so cool, some of the visuals. And, and as he this journey he takes from that little bar club that looked shockingly like a bar that we would have. Like there was like a tap oh, yeah. in the back and like a dance floor. And <laughs> he just walks and kind of descends down on this journey. And then eventually he clicks on his little Mando vision and he starts to see the, um, the insignia, I guess, for the armor on the wall mm -hmm. as he walks. The mark, little marker there. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, that's where he's going for, apparently. He's not, apparently he's done with the job, and he is going to find the armorer. Goes through it, the door, it, walks down a ladder. Go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's not like, this is not, this is this doesn't, this doesn't appear to be prearranged. It seems like he's just put together information and kind of hunted her down to this point to then reunite. It doesn't seem like they've been in any communication really before this. No, it didn't. Uh, and I didn't know if, if that was him hunting her down or if it was he was clued in somehow to like where she would go, you know, like in the event of an issue or something. Um, very possible. Yeah. Uh, he walks in to this, this room and out on a ledge, he sees armor, not scared of heights, by the way, very clearly. Not a bit. Doesn't bother her. She is mm. in a, some sort of meditative position sitting, uh, Spencer, big meditating guy. You're, you're a big meditating guy. So you probably could tell sure, us all yes, about this. this. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, and, he sees her and Mando walks up to her and falls down in the process. So he is really hurt, it seems. Uh, oh, yeah. The armor tells someone to tend to Mando. And then another Mandalorian, we find out later, this guy's name is Paz Vizla, does. Vizla, important last name in the Mandalorian culture. Wait, and 
we we previously I don't think knew the name of this guy, but we kind of knew him as the big the big Mandalorian that's rude to Mando. That's kind of the role that he served in previously. Yeah, and I always assume like some sort of bow to the armor, right? Maybe a little too close. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I think they might be a thing. I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. I think I think the armor might have a thing with Paz Vizsla. Uh, given some of the decisions she makes in this episode, perfectly possible. As Paz works on his wound, he tells him he didn't know if he'd see him again. Mando thanks him for saving him on Navarro, all the way back to when he was saving Baby Yoda uh, after he gave Baby Yoda up. Mando, changing his mind left and right. And he tells him that he's sorry for his sacrifice. Paz tells him there are three of us now, basically. Which is... They, they kind of just brush over it, but... Previously, the armor had kind of offered a certain degree of hope that, you know, other ones probably made it out or reunite with them at some point. This episode right here at this moment says, nope, these two dudes and you, congrats. This is the entire coven now. Yeah. So I don't know if that means that they're this, this, because what we, one, one thing we learned through the course of Mandalorian is that Mando's particular brand of being a Mandalorian is like kind of like a hyper religious, like kind of like Baptist, maybe like. He's kind of like out there. <laughs> Pentecostals push it even farther. Yeah, but but so not all Mandalorians are that way, right? So what, what what I'm wondering is of this kind of religious sect of Mandalorians is is this it? Like this might might be it. Like she um, kind of implies that this is it. Like the only way she, one point later on says the only reason our sect survives is because we were already hanging out on Navarro. As if that was all that there were of them. So I, I'm kind of inclined to believe that of this particular very conservative, very odd, very doctrinally strict group of Mandalorians, they are now down to three and Mando is kind of on the fence. Right. And what we know is that that there are other Mandalorians out there. Sure. But maybe not, not of like this religious dudes. sect. Exactly. Yeah. So... Uh, Armor asks him what weapon caused such a wound, and Mando shows her the Darksaber, and she tells Paz to bring it to her. Uh, Paz brings it to her and says, all this talk of the Empire, and they lasted less than 30 years. What a fucking line. I love the armor. That's a flex right there. Yeah, that's a potential line of the episode right there. Mandalorian says have existed for 10,000. So here's what I'm going to say about that. Love the line. Gave it, mm-hmm. a, gave it its credit. Just going to say the Empire seemed to have a bit of a higher ceiling than the Mandalorians. I mean, they did take over the entire fucking universe. So a little bit of a higher ceiling. She's all, she's focused on existence right here. That's all she's going for. Pure existence. Yeah, the Mandalorian timeline apparently harkens back into old Star Wars Legends kind of territory in the way the rest of the timeline does. But if we want to go sheer level of accomplishments, Mandalorians haven't been taking over the whole galaxy that recently. Yeah, it's like Kevin Willis, who like played until he was 48 in the NBA, being like, look, <laughs> played longer than Michael Jordan. It's like, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, a little bit of higher ceiling. Um, she asks Mando what he knows of the blade. He says, I am told it's the Darksaber. So right away, Mando is tipping his cards. I don't know much about this thing. She asks him if he knows its significance. Mando says, whoever wields it can lead all of Mandalore armor. If it is won by Creed in battle... It is said one warrior will defeat 20 and the multitudes will fall before it. If, however, it is not one in combat and falls into the hands of the undeserving, it will be a curse upon the nation. Mandalore will be laid to waste and its people scattered to the four winds. I personally just see this as a little bit of a convenient story now for your your Torah to read because when Darth Maul like rolled up into Mandalore and like took the Darksaber and was like being a dick, like... There we go. Now, that's the reason Mandalore yeah. fell. That's the reason. Yeah. yeah. 
it, in many ways that felt really authentic though because that felt so damn religious that felt so insert in excuse to apply whenever this doesn't prove true just that felt very on point accurate in terms of how this kind of religious artifact would work in a real world system. Yeah, and this sort of like retroactive telling of the story of like, yeah. well, look, you he know, wasn't and, worthy. Yeah, and that's why Mandalore fell into into trouble uh, because it was uh, taken by uh, someone who shouldn't have. Or, or Bo-Katan, they, they specifically name drop her. Oh yes, she didn't wor- earn it in battle. She claimed heredity to claim it, and yes, that led it that led led the Mandalorians to horrible things. It's like. Okay, yeah, you, this is this is a justification you can apply to any circumstance you want to explain events. See, my 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 leanings toward Bo-Katan came out there because I assume she's talking about knew, Darth Maul. Yeah. I'm gonna assume she's not talking about the lovely Bo-Katan. Oh um, no, she. I think she even name drops Bo-Katan. It's like, oh yeah, she sucks. I was like, well, oh, Lee's gonna hate this. He does. Daddy to get into it later. Mando gets up and says that the hilt is a quality of Beskar he's never seen before. Armor. It was forged over a thousand years ago by the Mandalorian Tar Vizsla. He was about, he was half Mandalorian, half Jedi. Oh, shit, mm-hmm. Spencer. I, I mean, I'm just the saying. There might be another person out there in the universe who's half Mandalorian, half Jedi. Given that Mandal- being a Mandalorian and being a Jedi are purely cultural things, there's nothing stopping a lot. I know you're pointing at Baby Yoda over your shoulder. And I'm no, dancing, too. And I'm dancing. <laughs> Ah. They set it, they're setting this up, and I hope they are actually going that route. I think so. We'll see. I think they are. Uh, I, I I think I have my finger on the pulse of the Baby Yoda story. I would be very disappointed if Baby Yoda is fully leaving the Jedi behind. We'll, we'll see if that's the case. I think he pretty much is. He might he might train a little bit more, but he's never going to be like a Jedi Jedi, and he's never going to be like a Mandalorian Mandalorian. He's like he's kind of like the the Tarvisla of his time. He'll be like half and half, and I think that's awesome. Um, Mando tells her that he has met Jedi armor. Then you have completed your quest. Mando, I have armor. Then you may join our covert as we rebuild. Mando, this is the way. So they join in this. This is the way. And they all have a moment. And they have one great day together before everything falls apart. Spencer, question for you. Have you ever removed your helmet? Uh, Define helmet when we're applying to this circumstance. Has anyone removed it for you? Uh, so, um, I'm just going to ask for forgiveness now, and let's talk about how to find those mines under Mandalore, because that conversation's going to happen. This is the way. Cut to Mando and Paz Vizsla moving some stuff around. She's doing a little work. She puts them to work. That's her guys. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's why, that's why I, look, you've been, you have a long-term girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Not uncommon. She says, Spencer, can you move that, please? I need you, you know, like, we're having a good Saturday, but, like, I want to rearrange the couch, you know, a little... You know, it does this bring me joy type of thing. So she's trying to do some feng shui. Uh, Lee, it's your I job so, to move the couch, right? Lee, I am so sorry I introduced you to the concept of shipping and how it is clearly now warping your mind as to all characters you see in every show. It's like I just think the armor and Paz Vizsla rem- and item, and he's doing some just normal boyfriend stuff. I will, I will show you fanfiction.net and you can start writing your own stories, man. I endorse your efforts. Oh, that, that'll be like the next thing I plug on the housekeeping at the beginning of the episode. Paz asked Mando how he got the Darksaber. Mando explains he won it in battle for Moff Gideon and that he did not kill Moff Gideon, but Moff Gideon was sent off to the New Republic for interrogation. Dump, 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 dump. I like that. I, I, will, I like that too. He will face justice for his crimes. I, I, I really like that Mando made the decision and he's believing it. He, he consciously decided that was the thing to do. I also like the Mandalorians clearly don't like it. They're no. clearly not happy with him making that decision. No, they 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 should have killed him. 
Um, and he in, in he will he I'm, let's just be clear. He should have killed him because Moff Gideon will escape from wherever the hell he's at. I mean, there's no way they're keeping this character alive just so we can see him interrogated and put in a jail forever. Like, that's not how that story is going to work. Hey, hey, they could be following Sean Bean principles here. If they hire, they could hire a really big actor that just shows up for no purpose other than to die. It's perfectly possible they're doing that. I also don't think they're doing that. No, but Moff Gideon will get out and he will get uh, with the remnants of the other Empire that we are going to learn about i think in the ahsoka mm-hmm. series maybe in mandalorian season three i don't know uh they tell mando that it would take death to bring him to justice armor the death of millions is on his hands yike millions mando then says confidently that gideon will be executed by a new republic tribunal armor we shall see spencer do you think he will be executed by a new republic tribunal I think they will convict him. I think they will sentence him to die. And then I think Thrawn will swoop in and rescue him. And that will be a surprise shock moment that shows Thrawn's back in the picture. kind of. Because I'll tell you this. I had some fried chicken for dinner the other night. So I went to my favorite fried chicken joint. And I talked to the guy who, who plays Moff Gideon. <laughs> and he told me that he is in what? Mandalorian Season 3. Absolutely. In Mandalorian season three, no, I, Giancarlo Esposito was just at the chicken place. Well, he runs oh, it. Oh God! Now, I'm getting, now I'm getting the Breaking Bad reference. I understand now. Yeah. Thank you very much. Absolutely, he runs it. He, he's got a, I, an empire. <laughs> I didn't think you traveled to New Mexico for chicken. I did. I did not know that was part of your routine. <laughs> uh, no, he has. He has been very open in interviews lately that he is absolutely in Mandalorian season three, and he did a lot of filming. So he is very uh, much yep. still in the story. Totally just going to show up at the trial, be sentenced, and we're going to see his execution. That's all he's going to be. Yep, yep, that's that's what's going to happen. Armor, legends foretold of the Mythosaur rising up to herald a new age of Mandalore. Sadly, it only existed in legend. Where did you come across the Beskar steel? A couple things here. Armor does not like the Beskar steel uh, spear. And two, um, have you ever heard of the Mythosaur before? No, no, that's another one. That's a new one on me. Yeah, me too. Mando explains that he got the Beskar Spear from a Jedi. Uh, technically, he did, right? Because um, the, it was with that that imp, the lady from the Empire. Um, and then I think I, I think Mando got it, but Ahsoka like kind of blessed it or whatever to give it to him. I don't know. Or did, did Ahsoka give it to him? I don't know. Either uh, Ahsoka, way. Ahsoka, de- Ahsoka defeated the lady with the spear, and then Ahsoka gave him the spear. Okay, so Ahsoka had it for like 12 seconds. So it's technically true, yes. but it really came from a non-Jedi, non-Mandalorian. Uh, he said he used it to defeat Moff Gideon. Armor explains it can also pierce Beskar armor. And that is a real fucking problem for them. And she doesn't like it. And I'm with her on this. Does this feel in any way inconsistent, though? Because aren't the singing birds made of Beskar? The what? The whistling birds, the, the little arm rocket things. They made them out of Beskar. So aren't those Beskar weapons? Sure, but I, we have no evidence that, that that pierces anything. It seems to just hit people. But that's it, a Beskar-based weapon. That she is seemingly objecting on principle that a Beskar-based weapon shouldn't exist. I, I thought she was, was... inconsistent or not. No, I thought, I thought she was objecting to the idea of a a Beskar like steel or knight or something that can pierce the armor. Her whole point was our armor is supposed to be non-pierceable. Like you're not supposed to be able to pierce this and this fucking thing can pierce it. So it's a real problem for all of us. And I'm, I'm kind of with her on that. Okay, It's perfectly possible. The whistling birds, whatever they call can only pierce, can only pierce stormtrooper plast steel and they can't actually go through Beskar. Maybe. Well, we know it doesn't have to be. We know that a stiff wind can go through the fucking stormtrooper (laughs) Beskar. It's, it, it has gotten flanderized to no end. Yes, this is true. Amanda then says, all right, fine. 
You don't like it? Forge it into armor. Um, she says the dark saber is a more noble weapon for him to wield. So she's like, I'm going to do that. With you on there. And uh, also, you need to be wielding the, the dark saber for now. I'm to ask her if he's heard of Pokatan Chris. Uh-huh. She explains Bokatan is a cautionary tale. Um, I like the armor and I like Bokatan. So I'm really in a tough spot here. I feel like it's like two of my friends are fighting and I'm having to be like, hey, look, you know, like they both have really good qualities. Armor is dunking on Bokatan hard. I mean, like, but armor is basically representing Bokatan as like this is the reason our faith exists because people out there like her are you know running things. Yeah. First off, I'm not sure that's a really fair representation of Bokatan's attempt to rule Mandalore, like at all. Like she, it's what the armor is saying, right? Though. It's I, but I, yeah. So it's, it's but also Bogotan, I feel like hits her back with the sort of like, oh, you're a part of that fucking crazy religion where you don't even take your helmet off. Like, what's wrong with you? This is true. Um, so here's the story she tells of Bogotan. She once laid claim to rule Mandalore, but birth by birth and by sword, um, you now wield. Uh, she she oh no, she once laid claim to rule Mandalore by birth and the sword you now wield. But it was gifted to her, not one in battle. Bogotan Chris was born of a mighty house, but they lost sight of the way. Their rule ended in tragedy. They lost their way and we lost our world. So I'm, eh, the, we lost our world she, thing. I feel like a little, little too much to hang on her. Um, she, she's straight up laying at the at the feet of Bo-Katan the downfall of the Mandalorian race. That is the level of disdain that she has for your, you know, favored friend. She's not my favorite. I just like Bo-Katan. I think that she, her heart's in the right place. But um, I think this is a little bit rough of an expert. You know, it's kind of like a game of telephone, you know. Uh, the fight that Bogotan had with Darth Maul, like th- it's now gotten what? all the way to Armor, who's like, she lost our world. Okay, well, uh, well and that's a great point because the Armor wasn't there; no. they were already, already seemingly exiled. You know, a distaff conservative cult that was no way present for what happened. Otherwise, they would have been dead. So she's just hearing of it secondhand. Yeah, um, she says that if their sec had not um, left to the moon of Concordia, they would not have survived the Great Purge. Cut away to images of the Great Purge. The bombers coming in and just destroying Mandalore left and right. The Night of a Thousand Tears. Nice visuals right there. Really cool stuff. We see Imperial droids going in and shooting and killing everything. So one thing that this scene did, I think, is put eyes to the idea that the Empire could, quote, destroy a world without the Death Star. And that's Mm -hmm. basically just blanketing it with fire, which is what they did with a lot lot of droids, it seems. Oh, yeah. I mean... One forgets that even just a single Star Destroyer in orbit can level practically an organized planet. It's not as big and impressive and makes a big enough boom to, you know, scare people across a galaxy the way a, star, the way a Death Star does. But this, the Empire had resources at the wazoo by which they can reduce a planet back to the Stone Age with very little effort at all. Right. But they only lasted less than 50 years, so they suck. <laughs> Cut back to armor. the armor. Only those that walked away survived the purge, The but our numbers were lessened and we were scattered. Our adherence to the way was preserved, our legacy for the generations, until we may someday return to our home world. I think it's a little foreshadowing to Mando's storyline. Uh, she asked him uh, what to forge, and Mando says something for a foundling, for a specific foundling. Grogu! Woo! There we go. How excited were you already? How excited were you already that Mando's already making making his own little Mandalorian trinket for our, our, our little baby Grogu? Here's the thing. I think there's a segment of the fandom who's starting to roll their eyes at the Grogu thing. I just feel like those people don't like joy. They don't like to have joy in their heart. <laughs> they don't like to enjoy things. They just want to like sully and make everything like bad and like be really sarcastic and angry about everything. And if that's what your goal is, you're probably going to have space in the Grogu storyline. But I think it's a fun 
really, really joyful, interesting storyline because um, he really is like splitting the difference between Mandalorians and Jedi. I mean, he obviously is, is learning a lot, um, has learned a lot, continues to learn a lot in the Force, but uh, has very hard Mando uh, leanings. So she points out that he's no longer in Mandalorian's care, Mando's care, but Mando says, I don't care about that. Um, I want to see him make sure he's safe. The armor explains something to Mando that we already know, that in order to master the Force, Jedi must forego all attachment. Mando explains, well, that's the exact opposite of what we do. Loyalty and solidarity are our creed. So she asks him what she would forge for Grogu, and we see her forging the weapons in a small little linked chains. So I think that... Chain- Chainmail vest for Grogu. Basically. And I love that I love that they set that up with that dialogue of like the sort of split heart, right, of Grogu. Of like this idea of like in order to truly master yourself, your gifts, and to come at peace with the universe, you have to forego all attachments. And then the also the idea of your attachments are what make you. That's what makes you strong. That's what makes us connected all together in the Mandalorian creed. I love that sort of dichotomy. It's a great dichotomy, and it's a great character. That they, the fact they put that, that that dichotomy in a single character is a wonderful idea. We'll discuss this next episode. My biggest complaint is I think they're doing it too fast. This should have been like a late season three Mandalorian thing rather than happening it before even the season starts. It will still be happening late season three Mandalorian, so don't you worry about that. Then we see Mando training with the Darksaber, and he is struggling. <laughs> Chunk of metal he's right uh, This thing's heavy. Um, looks like you move in that couch I was talking about earlier. Very much that, yes. <laughs> with, with, with similar foreign language instructions being yelled at me the entire time. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's like a, from an Ikea manual, our girl Armorer yells, you're fighting against the blade. What does that mean, fighting against the that blade? Means jack shit. It's like, if I was made, it was like, that means nothing. Give me actual sound advice right now. It means the absolutely nothing. The blade is nothing. not sentient. Mando explains that he gets heavier with each move. She explains that's because he's fighting against the blade, not the opponent. I still don't understand what that means. When Mando gets back up, it seems even heavier. And she easily bests him, and he continues to struggle to lift it. Then we hear, you are too far. You are too weak to fight the Darksaber. If you win, it, or it, it, it will win if you fight against it. You cannot control it with your strength. That's what she's telling Mando. Mando says he wants to try again, and she says, "Persistent without persistence without insight leads to the same outcome." Great line, great thing That's to remember, point. just in all of our lives. It's really good. Persistent, persistence without insight leads to the same outcome. Kind of like that that idea of like the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Yeah. She explains that his body is strong, but his mind is distracted. Wonder what it's distracted with. Mm-hmm. Pointing to Grogu. You know, it's those commitments, man. It's those commitments that always just hinder you. You got to abandon all those commitments and attachments. It's really the right way to go. Mm. It doesn't seem that way for Mando. Mando claims he's focused, but she says the blade says otherwise. Then, dump, dump, dump. Haas comes up and says, "Well, maybe the blade should be carried by someone else." This is like totally like, you know, our favorite wrestler is in the ring, just went a long bout. He's tired, and then out comes somebody with the money in the bank suitcase, like. I'm going to fight you now. And you're like, oh, no, and our, our our hero is weakened and he has to fight now. Just out of nowhere, a cheap chair flies off stage and smacks him in the side of the head. They're like, a whole new battle has started. So I'm not a betting man anymore, Spencer. If I was a betting man and they mm-hmm. stopped the episode right now, 
I think I would have put Paz Vizsla's chances of beating Mando and taking the lightsaber at about plus 3,000. That means bet a dollar to win $3,000. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I totally saw the fact that he was going to make this move coming from a mile away. Oh, for sure. He set it up. He's just trying to, he's just popping off in front of his girl. That's all that is. Dude, just start writing the fan fiction now, please. <laughs> no, I've just but, introduced it as fact. It, it, it's straight up, she basically told him to do this. She presented this as being the inevitable way that the blade... Act. She pretty much told Mando at the start, you don't really have a rightful claim to that. Someone could take that from you at any point. And so Big Dude just goes, well, that someone could be me. And five minutes later, he's in there for it. Now, he does, other than just being like, hey, I'm going to impress my girl and I'm really big... He does have kind of like a an argument here. He says the blade was forged by his ancestors in House Vizsla. That's why I said earlier in the episode, remember the last name Vizsla. Paz yeah. says, let's get ready to rumble. And then we have a battle, Spencer. A very fun battle, I felt like. A 1v1, kind of on a straight. You know, it reminded me of like those video games like Tekken or Street Fighter, where right. it was kind of like a 2D fight, where it was like kind of on... Um, one single like lot they were fighting on a string basically like back and forth um again never one time thought pause stood a chance in this fight even when he took the dark saber from mando i thought he's still gonna be fucked and and of course you know the the fight sort of played out very similar to like a lot of these like 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 the mountain versus the viper maybe in game of thrones like right because it's strong guy hits 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 and then the the fast guy is able to use his speed to sort of catch up it, it, even the setting kind of reminded me a little bit, and this is something I'll say a lot during the course of this episode, of the Darth Maul versus Obi-Wan fight in um, uh, in The Phantom Menace in terms of that narrow platform hanging over an abyss kind of thing. And, mm, you know, strong duel of the fate like situation. And then the other guy jumps up and is able to defeat him kind of thing. There, there, there's certainly an aspect of that. I'll give Vizsla credit, though. He did better than I thought he was going to do in the course of this fight. He actually gets a few up on Mando before he's done. Ding! That's the first Phantom Menace reference that we're going to make this episode. Um, we'll get a lot of those by the time. Yeah, we got a few more to go. But yeah, I, I don't know. I thought I thought Paz stood a chance because he's a big, strong dude. But uh, ultimately, yeah. Mando gets him from behind, puts a knife to his throat. And that's when Armor calls the fight, says it's over. Um, and she says, um, she asks Paz Vizsla, have you ever removed your helmet? No. Has anyone ever removed it for you? No. Mando, have you ever removed your helmet? Be- is the timing of this voluntary or is this part of the ceremony? I don't know what it was. I I have no idea why she did it right now. Um, She's asked him this before. This is, this is a question we've seen before thrown out in their particular faith. And the timing of it, maybe that's part of like the closing of the ritual bout kind of thing. But it also felt like she's almost purposely trying to screw Mando over here right now. Yeah, she's mad because her boyfriend just got beat the fuck up. Yeah, that's exactly what this is. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I mean, isn't that what you're saying? That she yeah, she had a preference yeah. to pause and, and then and she's doing this to sort of stick it to Mando a little bit? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I could buy into that. I have no... I, I, when she started asking this question, I had no idea. Although, I will tell you that I have, at this point, started to put armor in that sort of, like, kooky religious category where, like... She says stuff, and I'm like, oh, yeah, she's just doing her thing. Yeah, like, she's roll just, your eyes. Yeah, she's just doing her armor or thing, basically. Mm. Um, he does not lie. He says, nope. yes, I have removed my helmet. And she says, then you are Mandalorian no more. Um, he asks for forgiveness, and she says, according to Creed, one can only be redeemed in the living waters under Mandalore. 
Boy, this seems cultish, doesn't it? Din, yeah. Din Djarin then points out the mines have all been destroyed, and she just says, this is the way. It's what you well, got to do. You're screwed. Sorry. We will and now I, be hunting you down. Congrats. What did you take of Mando's reaction here, where he just picks up the dark saber, brushes by armor, and pieces out? Do you take this as a severing in the relationship between Mando and armor, or is this just really like, I'm leaving for now. I'm going to I'm gonna chew on this thing about the, the waters under Mandalore or whatever for a while. I don't think he... I think Mando has gotten in some ways distanced from his faith as a result of seeing a lot more of the universe now than he'd ever previously seen before and seen that there's a lot of different ways to be a Mandalorian and operate in society than he ever previously thought possible. Sure. But I don't think he's abandoning it. I don't think he's seeing this as necessarily a death knell to his future relationship with his particular sect. However... Yarmor's words are very much an end of the conversation. There's nothing you can really respond to that. She's just saying, that's the way. This is the only way this could happen. It's technically impossible. See you next time. We're trying to kill you to take the blade. There's nothing you really respond to about that. I'm not... Do you think the armor would ever actually attack him for the blade? Because she doesn't seem like she wants to lead. She seems like... She seems like a priest, not a president. I, I agree. I don't think she's going to make a personal claim for it. I think she's going to support Paz if he wants to try again. Maybe. I mean, they are together. Then we see Mando using public transit. Tough. Pretty tough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, anytime. I mean, well we've we've all known people. Not you, Spencer. You got it like that. But I, we all know people who have actually like lost their job, lost a car, and had to go on the bus. It's a darn shame. You hate to see mm-hmm. it. Mando's having to take public transit. He gets on a flight to Tatooine. He's told he has to remove his weapons. Mando tries to play the religion card, which I really was impressed with. He's like, that's my religion. <laughs> I, 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 I love that the TSA agent, the TSA droid that he's talking with, says, well, if you'd like to speak to my boss, I can file a formal complaint for you. Yeah, and we can put you on the flight for the tomorrow. Uh, how many times has this conversation played out in Texas? Hey, this is my gun. This is my religion. <laughs> yeah, not not on this plane, it's not. You're going to have to... Very, <laughs> very similar mindset. Also, the very similar... I love Mando's line at the end. I know everything that's in this box. Eyes are on you. Very much so. Yeah, Mando, Red Stater here. Uh, Mando tries a, uh, he, he takes off all his weapons uh, in a hilarious sort of Mr. Bean moment. You know, remember the old Mr. Bean movies where like he would like start doing something and it would just take forever and he just keep oh, yeah. doing it. And keep Like Mando's well, like taking, and here's another knife and here's another, like it's almost well, comical at a certain point. Well, one that reminded me, have you ever seen the original Mad Max series? No. We'll need, we'll need to watch all this at some point, but there's a scene in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, the third one, which exactly plays out the same way, of where he just spends like five minutes pulling all the weapons off at the, at the weapon check, with just the guard looking increasingly confused as this clown car pile goes up for him, uh, builds up for him. This felt like an homage to that. Yeah, maybe it was that. I, I got I got Mr. Bean vibes, but, uh, you know, I'm old guy. Um, I'll tell you, another thing I really liked about this episode is they took their time to show the flight that Mando has mm-hmm. as he flies through the galaxy, hyperspace gets out of it, descends into Tatooine, lands. Beautiful stuff. They didn't have to take the time that they did with that. And I, I really liked it. Again, visually feeling filling out Star Wars through this interconnected story of multiple like people and multiple series. We're getting a visual backdrop to this world that we've always envisioned and read about and, and thought about. And you and I have talked before is that we haven't really gotten to see people that would be taking the bus in the no. Star Wars universe before. And getting to spend more time with somebody like Mando that does just have to take the bus rather than just have 13,000 credits handy that he can, you know, rent the Millennium Falcon for. 
he actually just needs to hop, buy a ticket on a Starliner that's going to get there in a couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, quite frankly, we have been with the one percenters of the Star Wars <laughs> universe for a very long time. And I think that's why this why the Mandalorian storyline succeeds, is that he's not. When his ship blows up, he's got to take the bus. Like, yeah. that's just how it rolls. And I love it. I'm here for that story. He, he has to take the bus to go see a friend who said, maybe I can get you a car. That's the yeah. level of story that he's on in this episode. Yeah, he's got a friend who's a mechanic. He's like, I, I might have something for you. So he takes the bus to go see. So... He gets out at Mos Eisley, he gets all of his weapons, and we see our favorite mechanic in all of the Star Wars galaxy. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Amy Sedaris is back in the flesh. God bless her. Love her. Love her! Who, te- who technically has a character name, but no, it's just Amy Sedaris. Oh, no, it's Amy Sedaris. She is lovely. I love everything she does. She's running around trying to kill some sort of lizard that's bothering her stable of droids. And then we see this sort of comical scene play out where the lizard takes Amy and she's begging for help, and then Mando eventually shoots. I think that's just a chance for Amy Sedaris to do a little something. I mean, they just, mm-hmm. we got this, we got this jewel of a comedic actress. We have to give her something. Yeah, um, we, we, we finally get to spend a bit of time with Womp Rats. We've heard about Womp Rats throughout all of the Star Wars universe. Luke's shooting him with his T-16. Now we just get to see a Womp Rat attack somebody briefly. Yeah. And, you know, seems like uh, strong enough that it would at least scare little Amy Sedaris there for a little while. She says, sure. what do we owe this pleasure here to slay a dragon or get an elusive bounty? Mando says, well, you sent me a message. She's a fun. She's a good friend. This is a great friend. This is what Spencer does all the time. You contact Spencer. Hey Spencer, what's up? And you're like, what? What do you want? And you're like, well, you, you told me to call you. And you're like, oh yeah, sorry, I sent you a text two days ago. Completely forgot. <laughs> oh now. god, that's happened so much. Yes. Yeah. Yes, sorry, I completely forgot. That's exactly what she did. She pulls a Spencer here. And she's like, I, I'm sorry, I forgot. But yeah, I do have something for you. A replacement for the Razor Crest. Watch the words. She asks for the cash. He gives it to her. So he, he's going to pay for this. Sight unseen. Yeah, she just trusts her. But, I mean, I would, too. I mean, she she had Baby Yoda's life in her hands there at one point, and she she very much came through in the clutch. So I, I trust Amy Sedaris. Uh, then she then says the droid, she tells the droids to cook the womp rat. Love that little part. I mean, mm-hmm. these are, we're not dealing with rich people. You don't let meat no go bad. things here, yeah. She asks Mando where his little companion is, and he says, I returned it to its own kind. Not true, by the way. The Jedi are not its From own Mando's kind. From Mando's perspective. From Mando's perspective, he really does view the Jedi as if they were their own race of people. Yeah, I know, but I just I, I I like that he said that because it's like it's the it's the type of little lie you tell to just make a conversation easier. because well, it, it would have been so much harder Mando... to say, "Well, you've heard a Jedi, right? Well, we think he might be a Jedi." So he through the Force, fe- like you know, what I'm saying, like you tell these little but, white lies just to like be like, let's just not talk about that. It's perfect. It's either that or Mando himself doesn't fully get it. It may even be certain shades of both kind of going on. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, and and by the way, I, I right now, the creature that is Grogu is three yeah, for three yeah, with we, Jedi. Three for three. They are Yoda, Yaddle, Grogu. All all Force uh, capable. All Jedi. Like maybe they're all that way. I don't know. We what? don't know. It appears to be one of the one of the only species in the Star Wars universe of where seemingly every member is born force sensitive. We don't see that much. I really want to. I, I they're going to tell us at some point, but I gotta know more about that species. Oh, that's, that's something I really want to know. Uh, she said she could have made good money by opening a petting zoo for him. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. Once Grogu gets irritated with that, you're gonna have some injured customers. Uh, Mando asks where the ship is, and she throws off a cover and hmm. That looks familiar. It's a little familiar. I could not put my finger on it. Mando asks, well, where the razor, where's the Razor Crest? And she's like, I never said. 
And I'm like, right, this is another Spencer Mova. This is very, very Spencer. I did not tell you I had a Razor Crest. I had a replacement for the Razor Crest. <laughs> and, and, sir, her replacement is what? In one starfighter, handmade for the Royal Guard and commissioned Straight personally by Naboo. the Queen of Naboo. That's right. A Naboo starfighter. The Royal Guard starfighter from episode one that we saw Anakin fly. First time he ever flew. First thing Anakin Skywalker ever flew. Ever. Was that thing. How cool. Let's try spinning. It always works. It, 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 this episode is just such a ah. love letter to Phantom Menace. Ah. There's so many little references that are being put back into it. I love it. Now... I am actually fully 100% with Mando's response to seeing this thing. Because A, this is not a functioning thing you're showing me right now. And B, this is a starfighter. I'm a bounty hunter. This doesn't quite work for what I'm looking for right now. I asked for an SUV. You got me a Ford motor car. Eh. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that... that like, so, I only thing that struck me about this is I didn't know where he was going to put the bounties. Like, where is he going to put I, people? I guess in the droid port. That's all he's got on this thing. It, it It's not a perfect thing for a bounty hunter. No. He could sell it and buy three ships if he wants to. But this is much more of a like a space combat thing rather than what he actually kind of needs for his purposes. Yeah, she gives Mando his money back. But in the meantime, she's got a little explaining to do. She explains it's not finished yet, but I got the parts. Mm -hmm. She points out it's really hard to find the original parts for something from the Galactic Republic, but pre-Empire... Uh -huh. And she explains... Ding, ding, ding. That's a useful feature. Exactly. That she's she's driving to the feature that I think ultimately convinces Mando to give this thing a it, it shot. Sells him, yeah. Which is that it is pre-Empire and therefore it is off the grid of the Galactic Republic. Or the, the New Republic, sorry. Um, I, I think both that and its performance abilities sell him on it. It's not ideal. It's not what he really actually needs. But that feature is hard to find. Yeah, he gets to work and asks, she gets to work and asks Mando to help, and he does. And we get a montage of them working together on the ship. During the process, she explains that she got all the necessary parts from the Jawa. You know, she's to date a Jawa. So, you know, she's yeah. kind of in with them. Um, would have loved to have seen a date with the Amy Sedaris character in a Jawa. <laughs> loved. I, give me 30 minutes of them just getting, like, some of the blue milk at the Mos Eisley Cantina, and I am... I'm all in oh, for that episode. The, the job was taking her out for drinks. That's the date they're going on. For show. For show. I would have loved to see <laughs> Drinks it. and music. Ah, yeah, that's a classy job right there. Mando then asked if he could get a list of the parts. Um, basically saying oh, like... Did they get tickets to Max Rebo back on tour? Oh, absolutely. Max Rebo. But y'all don't even think you need tickets for him. He's, he's the piano man of the Star Wars universe. He's just in every <laughs> bar, right? He's everywhere he needs to be. Okay, sorry to interrupt. Mando then uh, asked her like, hey, these Jawas, can they get like any part? Can we just... Give him a list of yeah. parts, and she's like, "Yeah, pretty much." So um, he starts to do that, and then she kind of cuts him off. She's like, "Look, I kind of have all the parts. Like, I, I know what I'm doing. Like, let me kind of run the Jawa thing." And this is when she points out that she used to date Jawa, and slowly mm -hmm. but surely the chip comes together. I love, 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 love cubed that Mando is flying in a boost starfighter. Just awesome. I, Just makes me happy. I, I, That's it. I Just makes me happy. I, I also like, this is like the second or third building montage or re starship rebuilding montage we've gotten on uh, uh, the Book of Man uh, Mandalorian so far. And I'm with it. I love these kind of little scenes if we're just two characters building something together. Yeah, because, I mean, again, we're not dealing with the 1%, right? We're dealing with some guy yeah. who, like, in order to get this thing in functional shape, he's got to work on it. They have a great scene of them taking it out of the garage. And I think there was a dragon in the cutaway shot, which was pretty cool. Um, 
she points out to him how fast it is, and uh, I think that's going to come into play later. They really focus on how fast they this thing is. Um, crap, yeah. yeah, really, really making sure the audience understands it's an unnaturally fast ship that's off the radar of the well, New Republic. With, with your theory, accurate as it is, that Thrawn's coming back, the fact that he's getting a starfighter, which is ideal for space combat and is incredibly fast and incredibly capable and off the grid, you better believe it's going to be a key tool that they're going to use in the war against Thrawn. Absolutely. It's going to be, um, there will be a, at some point, there will be a mission that Mando's got to fly to the ship that Thrawn is on and get in undetected and go fast and get in there and kick Thrawn's ass or something. That's going to happen. Is he going to accidentally fly into the hangar bay and then blow up the power plant by just pressing random buttons? Potentially. Although I will say that Thrawn, the way they have, if you haven't read the Thrawn books, I will say it over and over again. I think it's important to read for where this is going eventually. Do you need to read them for today? No. But for where this story will go eventually, it's probably important to read them at some point. So just put it on a list. But if there is any Legends material to read, the Thrawn saga is the best of the Legends material. So don't read the Legend Thrawn stuff. Also canon stuff now, too. I know. Yeah, they have got new canon Thrawn stuff that I think is probably what you should read. I mean, you can read the old Thrawn stuff. It's tangentially related. It's written by the same guy, Timothy Zahn. But um, Mm -hmm. they, they play that character in the new books as being otherworldly smart so if like if mando is like does take this thing in and just gets in and just kicks his ass like i'll be upset that would be very very disappointing yeah yeah the entire purpose of thrawn is that he kicks your ass for 95 percent of the story that's his role yeah he's he's definitely a wrestling heel in that way like you're like god will he ever stop beating the baby face up in these fucking books he beats everybody uh she points out how fast it is um and she swapped out the astrid mech right so no R2 droid. None of that for Mando. That's now, out. I, I, I'm actually going to dispute this to a certain degree. Cause it's, I think they're forgetting to a degree what an astromech is used for. An astromech is meant to provide your navigation computer for a ship that's not big enough to have a navigation computer. So if you if you drop that, you got to find a way to fit a navigation computer in this thing. And a Naboo starfighter is in no way big enough to have one. So I dispute this show's technical understanding of a Star Wars universe right here, right now. I mean, that was a really good little rant you had there i enjoyed it but i will say that like i think it could work in the story that when at the time they built the naboo starfighter a like that that component would be too big for it but it has been what 80 years 100 years or something since that story like a a long like maybe seven years been a long time since that story there's a chance that maybe Maybe the iPhone got smaller is what I'm telling you. It was still true of X-Wings only 10 years earlier. Is it possible they've been finally invented the miniaturization technology? Sure, but the Star Wars universe is built around very slow advancements in technology over time. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I liked I, I kind of like that because I like the idea that like she would be like, you know what, he's not going to want to carry a droid around. And that would really screw up the Grogu, Mando, buddy cop thing that we got going well, on if there was a fucking droid next to him all the time. So I'm glad they didn't do that. It is character necessary. It is appropriate that she remembered that detail. It shows that she's a good friend. But also, as you noted, the ship does not have extra seats. There's got to be a seat for Grogu on this thing. And he's not going to be snuggling up next to And he's obviously going to go in that little pod, which we get at the end. So I like the ship. I like the way they went with the ship. I like the story. But they do spend about 10 minutes on the ship. So my question to you is, is that too long to devote in this episode to the ship? Or... Um, does it kind of jive with Star Wars how, you know, ships have been, you know, whether it be the Millennium Falcon or Luke's X-Wing or Vader's TIE Fighter or now 
um, Mando's Razor Crest, they really have devoted a lot of time to the ship that people fly in as being a very important character in the story. Um, what's your thought on that? I'm very big into the idea that the ship is the soul of a, of a sci-fi series. I very much adhere to that view that the ship is its own character and deserves to have that kind of attention and focus played upon it. And it's dramatic and appropriate moments when you lose a ship or a ship is damaged or anything along those lines. I get invested in that kind of object in that way. So if this is going to be Mando's new ship, if this is going to be the new Razor Crest, I'm actually with the idea of them spending a bit of time on it. I'm also that kind of the kind of guy that actually appreciates when a show just is willing to just go slow and just watch characters spend time together and focus on just kind of the mundane activities. If I like a show, I'm okay with them doing that. And I, so I'm actually it was perfectly okay with the amount of time they spent on this. Or they just did it to sell Legos, one or the other. Uh, Mando then takes why, it out for a why spin. Why not both? Takes it out for a spin, and boy, does he like flying that thing. Uh, and it does seem... That he flies it through the same area that the pod race was in, in episode one. Right through Beggar's Canyon. Right through Beggar's Canyon. We are just checking off boxes of of classic Star Wars moments. Yeah, it goes right through the pod race area, which was really, really cool. And he was flying. Boy, he would have done well in that pod race. He was was crushing it. Yeah, Mando's clearly a very, very good pilot. Um, Turns the thing loose, and it can fly. And then he goes up into space. Um, and there are some young uh, Rhodesians on a uh, commercial liner that like look over uh, little young Greedos. Um, R- Rhodians, they're not from Zimbabwe, sir. Rhodesians, um, and um, <laughs> he then gets pulled over, and it's New Republic pilots, and guess who it is, Spencer? It's Mr. Kim. Okay, thank you. Yeah, it is Mr. Kim. Um, okay. Actor from Kim's Convenience, a wonderful, wonderful show that you can get on Netflix. Okay. What, what, what's, the, what's the actual name of the character? It's like uh, Carson something, right? I don't know. Uh, and he uh, asks him, I, I, I call I will, him Mr. Kim. I look it up. And he asks, uh, but they basically pull him over for speeding, and then they figure out he doesn't have any tags, doesn't have any insurance, doesn't have a license, doesn't have anything you're supposed to have. And the guy, they're kind of like, what are we going to do with you? And then Mr. Kim's like, did you used to fly a Razor Crest? And he starts Carson connecting Teva. a few dots. Go ahead. Carson Teva. Sorry. There we go. That's the character. He starts connecting a few dots, and as he does this, Mando does when anyone does uh just takes off on the police just whoop, whoop, i'm Calls gone it. goodbye kids at home this is uh this is a little life lesson with uncle Lee. don't do this it pretty much anything you're driving you can't do this so yeah. if you want to just like take off if you'd like stop somewhere and for whatever reason you really don't want to talk to the police at that point and you want to take off you're probably not, you're probably fucked. You're going to have to drive something really, really fast. I think that's the point of this, right? Is that he is yeah. driving something really, really fast to be able to do this. If, if you take off on the police most of the time, they're going to track your ass down and then you're in a lot of trouble. So from Uncle Lee out there to the kids, don't take off on the police. I, it's also one of those things. I don't think Carson was looking to arrest him. I don't think Mr. Kim was looking to arrest him here. I think he honestly just wanted to ask him a couple questions and probably would have let him go. He's let him go previously when he known that he's been involved in some shit. I don't think he'd actually be under threat, but Mando's taking no chances right now. He wants to go be reunited with Baby Grogu tomorrow. He said the magic word. He said Imperial Remnants. And that's when I think Mando was like, I don't want to deal with this because I don't know how they're going to react to that. Obviously a soft spot for, uh, I mean, this is, this is, you know what this is? This is saying gay in Florida. Like if you say fucking Empire (laughs) in the New Republic world, like they are triggered. They are ready to roll. Like they are mad. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think that's why he takes off. Um, 
I don't think that's the last we'll see of Mr. Kim, by the way. No, um, no. no. They, they, they are setting up Mr. Kim to be the friend in the Republic. Yeah, for sure. Uh, he lands back down. Amy Sedaris tells, wouldn't you t- Wouldn't you say, hey, I got pulled over during in this? Wouldn't you tell that story? No. Like, you wouldn't? Would I? Yes. Would Mando? Absolutely not. He really not leaves out, that detail. He's got to be a tough friend. He really leaves out a lot of information. Uh, Amy Sedaris tells him an old friend was oh. looking for him. Mando uh, asks. No, 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 no. You're, you're, you're missing another Phantom Menace reference. Go ahead. She asks him, how was the ship? And he has a one-word response. Wizard. Which is, just, he's straight up quoting Anakin from back in the day. There you go. Good find. Uh, glad you called that out. Mando, she says, Mando uh, had an old friend there looking for him. Mando asks for the name and Fennec Shan walks up. He says, if you're, are you looking for work? She explains the pay is good. He asks about the bounty, and he says, she says, there's no bounty. Boba needs your help. Mando then throws the money back, ends the episode with, tell him it's on the house. First, mm-hmm. I got to pay a visit to a little friend. Woo! Woo! We, thereby ending which was really just a left a smile on my face episode at every point. Is it self-indulgent? Is it fan service rich? Is it just basically an extended love letter to prior Star Wars media? Sure. Did I care? Not at all. I really, I really have gotten really frustrated with this use of the term fan service. As if people writing the show shouldn't be writing it for their fans. Like they should be writing the show to piss your fans off. Like what kind of, what kind of term is that? Like, oh, they wrote it to make their fans happy. Well, no fucking shit. That's the whole point yeah. of the everything is to make the fans happy. It's a crazy, it's a crazy phrase that we've like allowed to seep in as like a, like a, an actual criticism of a show where I'm like, that, what kind of criticism is that? That they make their fans happy with the episode? Like, what? give me a fucking break. It's the same people that make fun of tropes. Tropes are not bad and fan service is not bad. It's just whether it exists in a proper balance. If it tells its own story without just being only fan service... You should be happy when they give you little fan service to your moments. Those are the little sprinkles that make the whole experience better. Well, the but the whole thing is like if if it's too quote fan service, then fans won't like it. Then it's not fan service. Like the, the whole point is to make your fans happy. If it's doing that, then it's doing a good job. So I don't it, care. And I it, I when he said I got to pay visit to a little friend, my ass was dancing in my seat. That's what I I'm telling you. Was. I was boogied. I uh, am so uh, pumped to see fucking Grogu. I'm so excited they're not going to spend two or three episodes or two or three seasons away uh, from I, him. I was not happy that they were going to do that. So I'm, I'm glad they didn't. I, and I was straight up on the opposite side of the fence. I'm, I, I was with it until he said that. I'm like, oh shit, are we actually going to see him next episode? Because I was uh, the one. Yeah. You remember, we talked about this. I'm the one that wanted Grogu to be gone for like two seasons and it'd be built up to when they have the epic reunion again. This show is not about that. Like, nope, he sells too much merchandise. We need him back now. See, but that, see, that, that's the, so that's the cynical part of it, right? But like, I think. Me? Cynical? Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's an easy, like, explanation. Like, oh, well, it's Disney. They want to sell, like, you know, you can always fall back on that. I made that joke about the raid, Amanda's new ship saying they want to sell Legos. It's an easy thing to do, but it's like, it also kind of makes sense in the storyline because I, and we'll get into this more next episode, but I just want to preview the battle we're going to have because. I never thought it made sense that Grogu would just piece the fuck off with Luke and not have any hesitation and be like, yeah, let's go. I don't know this guy. I have all this trauma in my past about being left by everybody I've ever known. And this one guy I've developed a relationship with. Yeah, let's just leave him for some religion I know nothing about. 
and let's just fuck off and go to school for a hundred years. Never made any sense that Grogu was going to be a hundred percent on board with that. And so I'm glad that they gave him his own personality, his own wants and dislikes. You All right. can do that without expediting it. You can do that without diluting one of the most single effective moments in the history of Star Wars. But we will argue this next week. It was it wasn't it was effective because we got Luke. Uh, all right, let's go to best line of the episode. Not a lot of great lines this episode. Um, no, no, I think you hit. I think you hit a couple of the good ones just with the armorers quotes. But I think Boba Fett is in some ways, even when they're doing the Mandalorian, kind of struggled to have that really good of lines. Yeah, it was. It's not a very good dialogue show. It's a lot of action. It's well produced. I think it's telling a very good story. But I don't know. Um, I don't know about great lines. I think the one that really sticks out to me from the armors discussion with Boba was, or uh, Mando was persistence without insight leads to the same outcome. Really liked that line. I think that, that that was my pick for the best new line that we got. Otherwise, some of my top lines were just kind of retreads of ones that we've referenced previously in The Mandalorian. Like, I smiled ear to ear when we, when we had Mando say, I can bring you in warm or I can bring you in cold. But that's not a new line. That's like saying, may the force be with you at this point. Yeah, wizard or whatever he said. Uh, the, the, the quoted Anakin, that was pretty good. Wizard, yeah. Or just even even hearing the Mando sex say, this is the way. That has gotten so damn iconic now for the Mandalorians now that just saying it feels like you're harkening immediately into Star Wars. Right, None but... those are new. But ultimately, the best line of the episode, as chosen by me, because I am emperor of this segment, is... Mm-hmm. Tell him it's on the house. But first, I got to pay a visit to a little friend. I figured, figured you would pick that line. It was, of course. That line is just aiming for you. Yeah, of course, because it foreshadows that we're going to get my guy. We're getting Grogu back. We're getting the story that I really, really care about and all of this. So um, very happy that they're leading us that way. I got to say, I thought it was an incredibly bold move of this show. To just say, fuck you, we're doing an entire episode of just Mando in the middle of this thing. I, I thought it was that. bold as fuck. And, uh, you know, obviously people felt some kind of way about it. But I thought it was a bold move. It surprised me. And I was super, super intrigued the entire time. I, I will very much agree with you on those points. I have no real problem with it. I think it just means they should have done another episode of Boba just so we could see a little bit more of his plot line and more develop that. I, this is a great episode. It's a great reintroduction to Mando. It's a great episode of pulling him into Boba's plot. I'm fine with all those things. It's just a hell of a break in the momentum of what Boba's plot has been for the for this season. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, it, it did it did really put Boba on the back burner. That is full show. All right, let's go to nostalgic moment of the episode. Lot to choose from. <laughs> Lot to choose from. Spencer, what's your nostalgic moment of the episode? I got a few. I'm going to start small. Uh, okay. Some of my first exposure to Star Wars universe was the, some of the Star Wars like flight simulator games, and so seeing tie bombers fly over Mandalore and drop bombs yes. on it, I, I adored seeing tie bombers return once again. It's a great visual craft. I was very fond of that. Um, we, you want to do round robin, or should I just go down my list? No, yeah, just go down your list. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Seeing the Night of a Thousand Tears play out even so briefly, that moment right there was just visually impressive and just brought back a lot of lore right there and watching that happen. Vibroblades. I freaking love Vibroblades. Yes, so you do. People pull them out in every fight and use them the way that they've never previously been anything other than talked about in the Star Wars universe. I am with it. I loved it. Spencer does love uh, a Vibroblade. I'll tell you. Big fan. Yeah, in many ways, in many contexts. Uh, one, one other thing I really love is I love that Amy Sedaris is just, her shop is just the home of misfit droids. 
Yeah, it's awesome. It's just right? a c- collection of all the droids in the Star Wars universe. We get in very brief little image there. We get the pit droids from uh, Phantom Menace that are yep. just her buddies that are around there all the time. We get uh, RD uh, R five D four, the famous droid that blew his motivator. He found a home in Amy Sed- Amy house. Great, I'm so happy to see it. We get I had to double check the name a Wed. 15 Treadwell droid. I haven't seen one of those since... Look at Spencer doing research for the pod. I'm sh- I'm impressed. We get a BD droid br- br- from, the, from the New Line video games. Also in there. Briefly atta- attacked by a womp rat. So happy to see all the old droids brought to bear. Uh, we get B- Amanda going through the old Beggar's Canyon pod race course. Down to the exact same pillars that he's flying past as he's going. Perfect. But the ultimate nostalgic moment of the episode, and I don't think you'll fight me on this, the return of the N1 Starfighter. In a way, yeah. I never... When he said that she was getting him a ship, I never imagined it was going to be Ever. N1 Starfighter. Proper mm-hmm. Royal Naboo seal still on the thing. And this thing even looks like it's been souped up compared to what we saw before. Someone yep. took the time to turn this thing into a hot rod off what was even originally a muscle car. So, I... As much as I don't think it makes sense for a bounty hunter, and I think Boba would agree, Amanda would agree, it's still awesome to see it play out. And I can yep. clearly see the foreshadowing of how it's going to work its way into the plot. Right, but you know, I, I, I kind of want to descend down into the universe and say, "Well, Mando, just hands up, partner. Just so you know, you're no longer a bounty hunter. You're part of the Mandalorian <laughs> Avengers that will fight uh, a really bad blue-skinned Imperial guy. So, like, yeah. you're, he, he, like, it's not a problem because he's not really a bounty hunter anymore." Well, he's going to take in a lot more people cold. He's, he's he can fit a lot of heads in that thing. He's not fitting full core full bodies in there. He, I don't think he'll do another. I don't think you'll see another bounty hunter job. That's where I'm going. I'm thinking. I'm thinking he is just. He thinks that's still his job, but it's not his job. His job now is to get Baby Yoda, protect Baby Yoda, and start helping kick some ass. Like that's what he's doing. We will start. Well, like he'll get a job. He'll accept a job from Apollo Creed, and then rat, midway through that job, Bo-Katan's going to get like recruit him to go retake Mandalore with her or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. He, he's not completing another mission unless it's entirely off camera. Or Moff Gideon gets out. He finds out about it, and he's got to go get him sure, or something yeah. like that. Uh, yeah, that's that's my my uh, nostalgic moment of the episode: the M1 Starfighter from um, the Royal Fleet of Naboo. I will say that the pod race scene. Also, uh, it's got a rank made me feel good. I know a lot of people didn't like the pod racing. They thought it was too long. Um, I, I liked I it. It reminds me it. anything from anything, any nostalgic moment from episode one. I really like because as much as people complain about that movie, I, here's what I remember from that movie. I remember months and months of excitement. I remember sleeping outside on the pavement to, uh, be the first one in the theater to watch it. Um, I remember like it bringing Star Wars back into the cultural consciousness in a big, big way. So I always have a, a very, very positive opinion of that entire experience watching that film. It, it is a very flawed film. It's got a lot of problems. It also has a lot of inherent joy in a way that needs to be better recognized. Yeah, there you go. Shout out. We, you know what? We didn't fight as much in this episode as I thought we would. I think I'm we're saving, saving that for next, next week, episode. You motherfucker. We saving it for next episode. We will fight. Yeah, we will fight about Baby Yoda's training and how awesome that was to see. Let's go to, let's put our our robes on. Let's descend down into the gladiatorial pit. This is an interesting segment, right? Because we're having to say, is this episode episode. of Mandalorian as good as other episodes of Mandalorian? And I will tell you that I firmly believe that it was. I think if you drop this episode as episode one of season three of Mandalorian, Mm -hmm. 
it would have shined. It would have been great. People would have loved it. I give this a massive, big, big thumbs up. I think it ranks higher than the average Mandalorian. I think this is a, a definite above average Mandalorian episode. So yeah, I think it gets a firm thumbs up. There are many episodes I can remember Mandalorian that were less enjoyable and less quality than this one. Frog me. Lady. Frog and Lady. I like the Frog Lady episode more than you do, but I would still say that it's below this one. That was rough. Frog Lady. Yeah, that was the worst one for me. But yeah, and it's also the best episode of Boba Fett. I just Which I again um, think is more of a shame than you do. Yeah, no, I loved it. I'm, I'm, I really enjoyed the entire experience. Thank God for John Favreau and Dave Filoni because they are bringing me a lot of joy. This was a long time coming, folks. Thank you all for hanging in there with us while I got back to health so that I was able to come here and tell Spencer what he should believe about the Star Wars universe. Uh, thank you all for joining us. Spencer, any last thoughts about this episode before we wrap up today? Well, here's a question for you. Did you think after this episode ended that we would return to Boba Fett's plot in the next episode or would it be straight Mando again? I honestly expected what we got because I didn't think they would do it. In it. I knew it was only seven episodes, so I didn't think we would go two straight episodes without Boba. And I thought that really all the, the only thing left or uh, without uh, Boba Fett, and I thought the only thing left in the Boba Fett storyline, honestly, was the battle with because they'd set it all up. Uh, and 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 we get that obviously. So I I I felt like I it was like a sort of dare to dream situation for me to be honest with you because I was like. I think we're going to get Luke and, and Grogu. I think that. But you I did. was like you did. so excited for the prospect that I didn't even want to predict it. So I was like, maybe we'll get that. I don't want to talk about it. But I de we'll definitely get a return to Boba Fett and this sort of entrenched war he's got going on there on Tatooine. I, that's what I thought. What about you? Uh, I was not really sure with how much they went 100% towards Bando. I was like hell, maybe they'll just return to Boba in the climax and it'll really just be a setup for Mando's story and where he's going to start in the next season. I had almost thought they were kind of almost writing off Boba Fett as being a central part of the of his own you know, season, effectively, at that point. Yeah, I watched episode six with, um, with a guy who had never seen anything from Star Wars ever. Really? Nothing. Yeah, we were just sitting there. It was a good guy buddies with, and we were watching TV, and it's like, look, it's going to be weird, but I got to watch this, so I'm just going to need you to watch with me. And we're sitting there and like, as like Luke and Grogu come on the screen, I'm like trying to explain to him how it's, you, you know, it's kind of a funny trying to explain deal. to somebody, trying to explain to somebody something's a big deal and they don't understand it. They're like, oh, this is kind of cool. And I'm like, it's not just kind of cool. Like that's kind of what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of fun. Okay. Thank you, Spencer, for joining me here on Mangum Talk Star Wars to review episode five, Return of the Mandalorian here in the book of Boba Fett. We will be back very soon, probably within the week to do a, that's right two episode finale we're covering episode six episode seven of book of boba fett and we will do that all in the next episode here on main talk star wars and then we will transition to our coverage of the obi-wan series which comes out in late may thanks everybody for joining let's check out all of our stuff by going on the podcast platform typing in mangotalks.com we will see you in about a week thanks